Praise the Lord, church. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. And uh, if you have your Bibles tonight, turn to the eighth chapter of Psalms. And uh, I'd like to give honor to this church, this great church, this faithful church. I've said it before, church I'm proud to be a member of, uh, a church that I can take my needs and other people's needs to and see them pray and get answers, and uh, thankful for my pastor and his confidence for uh, allowing me to stand at this great desk where so many great men of God stood. And... Psalms the 8th, I'm sorry I didn't get with media tonight, I'm sorry, but I'm sure you're going to be way faster than me. Uh, the 8th chapter, I want to uh, read the first verse, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. I want to skip down to one of my most favorite verses in the Bible because it always challenges me to try to understand uh, it says what is man what is man that thou art mindful of him and the son of man that thou visitest him Brother Brandon, would you pray? God, I love you. Thank you, Jesus, that you might use my voice and my mind. Lord, to do your will. Could you clap your hands while you're seated tonight? I want to, I don't want to get in a real big hurry, not that I'm capable of that, but, oh, uh, this is David, and I'd like to do a little more reading. O Lord, O Lord, the first verse says, How excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings hast thou ordained strength because of thine enemies, that thou mightest steal the enemy and the avenger. David says, when I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. Now, right here, I'd like to, I'm going to give you this, and I'll just go ahead and fess up. I went to a, another denominal church a couple of weeks ago, maybe a little longer than that, and uh tried to, and I feel like God used me there to plant some seeds, and I used the same text, but only maybe ministry or somebody who has tried to give a testimony or say something in a, in a group of, and I'm saying this with kind, because Vicky and I have been there several times singing 
Uh, we met the pastor in Mountain View. Seemed like we meet everybody in Mountain View, and and God puts us together, and things lead one thing leads to another. And the last time we sang down there, he asked me to come and preach for him. You know, and I'm thinking, okay. And uh, he's, but what I started out to say all of that to say this, I felt bound because they didn't have the whole truth. They didn't have the revelation that we have. And I really couldn't, I felt like I really couldn't go where I really wanted to go without being offensive. But I don't feel that here because we all believe the same and we all think the same and we all understand the revelation of Jesus Christ and who he really is. And David, I can picture him, a shepherd boy out in the field at night. And those of you that used to camp or camp like we used to camp, you know, looking up at the stars, you know, without a generator, without a $40,000 camper or all the conveniences at home when you had a sleeping bag, maybe. And hope you didn't catch on fire at night trying to sleep too close to the fire. He said, when I consider thy heavens, thy work of thy fingers, the moon and stars which thou hast ordained, he says, what, not who, what, what is man? When you compare man to the heavens, that thou art mindful of him, that we've all heard this preached and I love it every time. You know, what is man that when you see and understand a small portion of what God has done in our universe and creating us, and, and, you know, when I look up, if you notice, he didn't say anything about the sun because the sun ain't up. That's the only thing I can figure. The sun is way more important to our life than the moon. You know, if we didn't have the sun, we'd all freeze to death. We wouldn't have fresh tomatoes. You know, we wouldn't have all them goodies that we have. We wouldn't have life. We wouldn't have trees. We wouldn't have oxygen. We'd just, just we'd be like the moon. But anyway, David's looking up at this sea, this vast universe of stars and the moon, and how he's trying to say, when I consider the heavens, when I think about the the massiveness of the universe and the stars and the moon. What is man? Why why you care so much about man? And the son of man that thou visitest him. For thou hast made him a little lower than the angels and hast crowned him with glory and honor. All sheep and oxen, yea, and the beasts of the field, the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, and whatsoever passes through the path of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. Y'all going to have to forgive me because I got this feather in the back of my throat I've had for three or four days. <clears throat> my voice is not very strong. But I'd like to talk to us today 
I'd like to point out some obvious things that might not be so obvious. Some things that we talk about on a regular basis when we consider God and then when we think about us. And when we think about the magnificent creations and then when we think about us. I want to talk to you today and if I could continue the or stay in the trend of, not continue, not that I can add anything to the pastor, but if I had to title this, I'd like to entitle it, our theme has been to increase. I would like to challenge you today to increase the understanding of who we are. Not, you know, I hope when I'm done, if I can give this to you in just some of what of the understanding God gave it to me. I'd like to start off with talking to you about Scripture and prove to you <clears throat> just how insignificant we are. Just how insignificant you and I are. <clears throat> Job 4.19 says that we dwell in houses of clay. We all know that we're built. God took his hand and designed a man out of clay. And breathed into his nostrils, and he became a living soul. And here in Job, the Bible speaks of us, mankind, living and dwelling in houses of clay. Now, he's not talking about a physical house. He's talking about our, our DNA, our makeup. Job 25 and 6 says, how much less man that is a worm. Now this is the Bible. And the son of man, which is a worm. I want to plant a seed in your head. You know, we talk about all the time how God came to earth, robed himself in flesh, and died and gave himself for us and loved us to the point that he would go to a cross and allow himself to be beaten, crowned with thorns, nailed to a cross, stabbed in his side, shed blood, and redeemed us. We say that with such, for lack of better words, we say we describe that a lot of times with such disrespect. There's no more important, more reverent place than the cross and what it represents and who was nailed to it and why. But we speak of it like, you know, we'll just say we're witnessing to somebody and we're just so excited and we're talking about how God robed himself in flesh, came to earth, you know, and that's good. I'm not, I'm not knocking that down. I do it. But today I want you to think about how far God really came 
and why He really came and who and what He came for. What are you saying? I want to, I want to ask you today, how far is it from a cat to a dog? How far is it from a cow to a giraffe? How far is it from deity, the throne room of God, to wormhood? How far did he really come? that he put on wormhood, that he put on that house of clay, that he put on that insignificant foundation, that he could come and bleed and die for something that he desired so much. Y'all so quiet. But really, how far is that? How far is that, Sister Joyce? That he would come so far and put on things so dirty. Things that he didn't represent. Things that he didn't stand for. Things that was totally opposite of what he was. No, he never became sin. He never sinned, but he put on sin. We've heard it preached thousands of times. He never was an adulterer, but he put on the sin. He took it on. He put it on himself. Dirty Sin of adultery, thievery, mockery, you name it. He, he wore it. He bore it. He walked in the flesh, in wormhood, in the lowest part of humanity. He robed himself in that thing. How far was it? I want to talk to you some more about how insignificant we are. Isaiah 40 22. I'm going to go there. Isaiah 40 and 22 says, It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in. Calls us a grasshopper. Now, if you want to get my wife excited, all you got to do is walk up with a grasshopper or any bug that has a wing. But that wasn't what this is about. He called you an insignificant grasshopper. But at the same time, he says he put out the heavens just for a blanket for you to inhabit under. Not for his pleasure, but for ours. Isaiah 41, 14 says, Fear not, thou worm, Jacob, and ye men of Israel, I will help thee, saith the Lord, and thy Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. 
Behold, I will make thee a new sharp threshing instrument, having teeth, that thou shalt thresh the mountains, and beat them small, and, and shalt make the hills as chafe. Thou shalt fan them, and the wind shall carry them away, and the whirlwind shall scatter them. And thou shalt rejoice in the Lord, and shalt glory in the Holy One of Israel. When the poor and the needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them. I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. I will open rivers in the high places and fountains in the midst of the valley. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water. He calls Jacob a worm again. I don't think for one minute that, that this word wormhood, or speaking of us as wormhood, is disrespectful. He's trying to plant a seed. As insignificant as you are, Jacob, as worthless as the dust that you were formed from, as you are. When you're thirsty, and your people are thirsty, and Israel's thirsty, and there's no water, no matter where you at, I'm going to give you water. When the enemy comes against you, no matter who they are, no matter how far up on the mountains or in the valley they are, I'm going to make you a weapon so strong that you're going to cut them down and the wind's going to come and blow the shaft away and you'll never see them again. What are you saying? Trying to... <clears throat> There's a million thoughts going through this ridiculously uneducated head right now. When we're sitting in a pew, are we at home in the bed? Are we in the darkest place of sin? And I've said this, and I know probably everybody here has said that, everybody's heard this. Well, I just ain't worthy. I just don't think God's going to accept me. Well, here's a news break. You ain't. You just as much wormhood as Jacob was. So was I. If it had not been for the God of Jacob, I'd still be somewhere God only knows, and I shudder to think of where I would be. But in my insignificance, and in my wormhood, in my worthlessness, I want to serve notice to you. You're telling God stuff when you say stuff like, well, I just ain't worthy. I don't think God's going to save me. I don't think God will save my family. I don't think God will heal me. Only way I know to say this is you're wasting God's time. What we need to do is, and what we really need to understand is, 
Yes, I am insignificant. Yes, I do fall short. Yes, I am worthless, Brother Lloyd. Yes, I will fail. Yes, I am a failure. Yes, yes, yes. I'm all of those things. But there's power in my insignificance. When I take my insignificance to the Lord, things happen. When I admit to myself that, yes, I'm guilty. Yes, I'm wormhood. Yes, I'm dirty. Yes, I'm a sinner. Yes, I'm failing. Yes, I have failed. I'm an utter failure. And I, by myself, I'm not good enough to ever fix it. I can't win my battle in my insignificance. But when I take my simple, worthless understanding of myself and place it in the hands of the Almighty God, how many of you, how many of us have stood in the face of adversity when the doctor, the banker, the whoever says, there's absolutely nothing I can do to help you. He's limited. He's bound by laws. He's bound by understanding. He's bound by medicine. He's bound by the limits of the natural life that you and I live in. But how many of you have seen people walk in here with a death sentence and take that insignificant statement that I can't do anything for you. You need to go home and get your business in order. And in your simple understanding that I only have one place to go, he's my last hope. And when you come to him with your insignificance and understanding that, hey, if God don't help me, it's a done deal. How many of us have seen God step in and so simple? Just defy all understanding and give you whatever it is that you so desperately need. And in your insignificance, in our insignificance, God is made strong and God is glorified. When you walk up here and there's no place else to go, and you come with the understanding that there is a power beyond wormhood and wormhood understanding and wormhood measurements and wormhood boxes that, that encompass us and bind us simply through our understanding that we're going we're gonna to try we're going to try insurance cards we're going to try credit cards we're going to try banks we're going to try credit report we're going to do everything we can to fix whatever our problem is when all that fails, you realize that, hey, and you walk up in the power of God, and there's nobody standing around, there's no doctor can say I made a mistake, there's no nothing, and when he walks in here and touches you, in your insignificance, you are made whole. I am made whole. Every time I'm invited to come here, Brother Brandon, you and the other guys will understand. 
Total shock, fear, deer in the headlight. Oh my God, I got, I got, I got to teach in the pulpit. But here's the secret: when you bow your face and you say, "God, without you, I'm gonna be a blubbering idiot, and I ain't gonna help nobody. I'm gonna confuse the people." And when you remove yourself and put your insignificance and your shortcomings and your weak mind and your poor eyesight and your weak understanding of the Scriptures and you lay it and say, God, here it is. All the way here in my mind, I say, if you can use anything, Lord, you could use me. That sounds funny, but it wasn't funny. When you and I understand our insignificance and why it's there, just think if you could fix any of your problems. Well, you got brain tumor, so I'm going to go down here, boom. And the doctor hands you a death sentence. Well, I got something to fix that. God would never be glorified. You would have need of nothing. The Bible says when Israel became fat, self-sufficient, didn't need anything, had a good good credit, had a good insurance card, had money in the bank, and good job, and everybody's healthy, and everything's good, don't need God. There's so much power in the understanding of our insignificancy when we place it in the right hands. I got one more scripture I want to go to. It's going to be Luke, the 19th chapter. And we all know the 19th chapter is talking about Zacchaeus, the publican. Zacchaeus, he climbs up in the sycamore tree and he's yelling out to God, wanting to see God. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to thy house, for so much as he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. It don't say who. When Spanky Neil and Daryl Black was in the darkest places on earth, I'll just leave it right there. We wasn't misplaced. God didn't know. I wonder where they at tonight. Those of you that are have been on the pews all your life, don't know what I'm talking about. But you was lukewarm or you was cold and mama drug you to church. You wasn't misplaced. God knew right where you was. He knows all about you. But he told Zacchaeus, first I come to seek it. I come to look for it. I sought it out. I came a long ways. I came from deity to wormhood. 
to walk the face of this earth that I made for you and you. I rode myself in flesh, and I'm walking in the same shoe leather you are. I came that far to seek out something, not someone, something that, not who, was lost. Now, we all know the story when Adam and Eve was cast out of the garden because of disobedience and sin entered in and death entered into the world. Physical death, yes. The spiritual death is being separated from God. And they were separated from God. And he came to seek out and to save that which was lost. When they were in the garden, they daily communed with God. God came down and walked with Adam. Adam loved on God. God loved on Adam. God spoke to Adam. Adam spoke to God. This, this communion, Adam didn't need salvation. There was no sin. There was only one law, and there was the power of his choice to obey or not to obey that law. I'm going to help all you sisters out. Some of you may know this, some of you may not. I don't know how many times I've heard a man say, man, y'all wouldn't, wouldn't eat that apple. Well, you can go read it for yourself. When Eve eat the apple, nothing happened. Nothing. But when Adam ate, I told y'all y'all would like that. It. But it's the truth. It's in the Word. Now, I'm going to turn that around. You women that have your husband full of the Holy Ghost coming to church with you, you need to obey him. Not, honey, go get me another biscuit. On spiritual matters and things, you need to, we need to stay in line with the order of God and things will work so much better. God said for me to love my wife as he so loved the church and died and gave himself for it. But he also told us to obey the laws and the statutes of God. And we all know it's God, man, and the family. And if Eve had not outstepped her boundaries and brought on the temptation to Adam because nothing happened to her when she ate it, but Adam had the one-on-one -on -one instruction not to eat of it. But there was no need for a Savior in the garden. Everything was perfect. There was no toil. There was no sweat. There was no thermostat, one hot, one cold. Everything was perfect. 
But he came down every day and visited with Adam and communed with Adam. It was God's highlight of the day. When I consider the heavens and the earth, the things that you have ordained, I did a little study on that. Let's talk about the moon and the sun and the stars and water. They say there's no new water. Never has been. It rains down, it puddles up, evaporates, goes up, comes back, rain just recycles itself. The earth, the water that you see every day has been here forever, according to scientists. I have no way of disputing that. But everything was perfect. And God came down. I'm trying to find a way to tie all this together. God came down in the cool of the day and sat in a perfect environment and visited with his prize creation. It wasn't the Grand Canyon. It wasn't the moon and the stars. All that was put there for old Spanky to enjoy. It's true. The Bible says he put all that there for mine, your comfort. But his, let's just say it like this, just so Jesus taught in parables, I'm going to try it. His Niagara Falls was in the cool of the day when he walked with Adam. His moon, his, his, when we look at the moon with such magnificent uh, observation and wonder, that's how he looked at Adam. He ordained all those things, and he put them in place. And however long ago that was, to this day, they're still doing the exact same thing. They have no choice. The earth rotates today just like it rotated the first day because it was ordained by God to do so. It has no choice. The moon has no choice. The sun has no choice. Niagara Falls has no choice. Any magnificent thing that we see today in our world has no choice other than to do what God ordained it to do day in, day in, day out. You and I have something that God desires more than any of that. And he lost that when Adam failed in the garden and he was separated from God. He lost that communion. He lost that thing that he could reach down and love on and pet. I love you, Adam. And Adam would say, I love you back. I don't have a Bible for that, but I just, I just see that. I know that's what I do when I go to prayer. I love you, God. And I feel him love me back. I feel the doodad's hair stand up, you know, when he comes close to you. and You know he's loving on you. But Luke says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. When Adam was in the garden, God provided everything for him. There wasn't no nine to five or like my world, five to five, seven, eight at night. It was there. You want to drink water, it was there. You want something good to eat, it was there. 
Well, no need to. All you had to do was wait around, enjoy a perfect world, and wait on God to come look at you and visit you. I'm closing. Oh. What, what God wants more than anything is your faithfulness and the understanding of your insignificance and your weakness. When you place that in His hands and you say things like, God, if you don't help me, God, I know you're gonna keep me. God, I know you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna spare me. God, I know if I stay faithful, you're gonna you're gonna be right there, right on time. And I'm gonna love you for it. And I'm gonna be faithful for it. He wants that communion. Now, because he wanted that so bad, he went to a cross and shed blood so that we could be redeemed back into his presence, and we could have salvation this day. If you're sitting here tonight, this is what I'm trying to tell you. Yes, you're an utter failure. No, you ain't worth God's time. No, you ain't worth one drop of blood. No, you ain't worth His healing touch. No, we ain't worth to feel His presence. But it's not about what we are. It's about what He wants to be in your life. He wants to be your Savior. He wants to be your healer. He wants to be your God. He wants to be the first and foremost thing in your life. No matter where you come from. No matter where you've been. Don't sit there and insult God when you're needing something, whether you're a saint or a sinner or it makes no matter, no difference. There's nothing that cranks God's clock anymore. There ain't nothing that makes him no more excited when he sees hurt get up and out of the pew. When he sees sickness get up out of the pew and come towards him. When he sees worship get up, brokenness, brokenhearted, get up out of the pew and come to all. I feel the Holy Ghost. When the pain gets up out of the pew and comes for a perfect touch. When the broken soul and the broken mind and the drug addict and the alcoholic or whatever you want to call it, just the good old boy that needs God gets up out of the pew. He came and he sought out a way that we could put ourselves back into that position and he could be there to meet us. Yes, He went to Calvary's cross. Yes, He shed blood. But the reason for that was that you and I could be blood-bought, redeemed back to Him. The icing on that cake is we're going to go to heaven and we're going to miss a hell. But what God wants, but what Jesus Christ wants right now tonight is for us to need Him in our insignificance in our uttermost failure, in our most hurting place you can name, and my vocabulary fails me. But when it gets up out of the pew, 
And it walks toward God in a contrite spirit with the understanding that, yes, I'm miserably insignificant. And I'm miserably helpless. And there's one place to go. And you make that step towards that one place and that one God that can truly mend you and make you whole. What is man? Man is the thing that God desires most. And He wants to redeem you back to Himself so He can touch you again. That He can sit on the bench in the cool of the day and you can pray and ask God and you can feel Him touch you back. I don't know if I've made any sense, but I feel... There's no way in our little old human mind to understand not how much we love God, but how much God really does love me and you. And He understands more than you your insignificance. And when I learn that the power in my insignificance is when I truly learn how to place it in the hands of of God. Just stand tonight. I don't know where else to go with this, but all I know to tell you is if you're feeling insignificant, if you're hurting, if you're lost, if you need anything, if you're feeling your wormhood, you feeling that house of clay you made out, how frail it is, how lost and undone it is, There's a God just standing there just waiting on you to take a step.